0: for the rest of us, um, I want you to take your Bibles or your devices and turn to the book of Hebrews. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, then you'll want to go to the table of contents. But uh, if you go to the back of the Bible and move forward, uh, you'll come to Revelation First John and you will come to Peter uh, and then uh, James and then Hebrews will be right in there. Uh, if you got your device, you know how to do that. Now we are in a four-week series called "The Secret of Happiness," and uh, this is our third installment. Next week will be our final installment, and we're reading from Hebrews chapter seven, verses one to ten. We have four slides. I'm going to read green. You're going to read black, and uh, we're going to stand together to do this. So, can you stand with me, please? And this is what it said for Melchizedek. King of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned the tenth part of everything. He is the first by translation of his name, King of Righteousness. And then he is also King of Salem, that is, King of Peace.
1: He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. But resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils.
0: And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from people, that is, from their brothers and sisters, through through these also are, though these also are descendants from Abraham, but this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises.
1: It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him.
0: It's a great name, isn't it, Melchizedek? I don't find any new parents calling their child Melchizedek. Wisdom rules after all. Let's pray together. Father, we love you, we love your word, we love the written word, and we love the living word, Jesus Christ. And now we pray and ask for the help and the agency of the Spirit. Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of Christ, to give us a voice to speak, give us ears to hear and to listen, and hearts to understand and minds to comprehend. And then as we leave this place, to go out into our worlds and live out the truth of God in Jesus Christ as faithful disciples in tangible, meaningful ways for Christ's sake. Amen. Why don't you be seated? Now, just a bit of review. Uh, Two weeks ago, we talked about the first secret of happiness is this. It's not what you think. It's that the secret of happiness is not what we get, but what we give. Last week, our secret to happiness was generosity. And this week's secret to happiness is not what you think either. And here it is. We will never be completely happy while what belongs to God remains in our pocket. Now, over the next two weeks, we are going to talk about a subject that is very controversial and emotional. We either hate it or we love it. And the topic is tithing. Now, if we tithe, we love talking about it because we're off the hook. But if we don't tithe, then we hate it. Or worse, we're indifferent to it. And I'll deal with that next Sunday. Now, by definition, understand that the tithe, the principle and the practice of tithing, as understood from the Bible is, 10% of our income, my income, your income, belongs to to the Lord. Now, before I get into the topic of tithing, there's a, something I want to say to us sort of as a preface that to suggest that tithing is not just about money. That tithing is about something much, much bigger than money. We fail to create inside us an imagination that is affirmative that grasps the life that is given to us and make the most of it not making the most money not having the most fun not making the biggest impression but entering into the to light the life on god's terms and living it well but too often Rather than grasping the life that God has for us and intends for us to live, we opt for table scraps and crumbs from another table. That's what happens when we get upset. When preachers and pastors talk about the issue of tithing and the topic of tithing comes up, we're fighting over table scraps and crumbs that fall from the world's table when God as a buffet table set out for us that we ignore. And so that brings me then to our first observation, how tithing began. Now it's important that I give you a little bit of history so that you understand what we're talking about. Tithing began under grace with Abraham. Tithing was an Old Testament practice that began under grace. And that's important. Tithing is a practice of grace and was a practice of grace long before it ever became a part of the Old Testament law. Matter of fact, the story that we read in our text this morning in Hebrews chapter 7 comes out of Genesis chapter 14 verses 14 to 20. And it is Abraham coming back from the battle with the five kings who uh, captured his son Lot and he, um, he conquered them and he took all of, the, um, all of the spoils and of 10% of everything that he received he gave to this man named Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek is a mystery in the scriptures. Nobody really knows for sure who he is. Some people believe that he was a literal king, but other people believe, and this is where I would tend to lean, is that Melchizedek was an Old Testament theophany or Christophany, that he was an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. So you can just kind of look that up for yourself and do some research on that. But the story that we have in Genesis chapter 14, and we read in Hebrews chapter 7, this story happened 1900 years before Jesus, and get this, and 500 years before Moses was even born, five centuries before Moses and the law, Abraham was practicing the principle of tithing. It was Moses, actually, who took the principle and the practice of tithing, a practice and principle of grace, and actually folded it into the law, and that would take place 500 years later. Now, the other thing I think might be helpful to know is that almost all the New Testament themes that we have today in the New Testament have their origins in the Old Testament, now, what many people, if not most people, do not realize is that reality that the themes that we have in the New Testament originated in the Old Testament. Such things as salvation, justification, redemption, and even resurrection. And the same is true with tithing. Abraham is, uh, is the father of us all in the faith. And grace was established under the call of Abraham long before the law was instituted, 500 years before. And so the tithing principle precedes, includes, and transcends the law of Moses by 500 years. Now, I didn't know this before, but did you know that the Egyptians, 3,000 years before Christ, also practiced tithing. So did the Persians, so did the Babylonians, so did the Arabians, so did the Chinese, and so did the Greeks. And the obvious question that comes up out of that is why? And Paul tells us in the New Testament why that is the case. Because the Bible tells us that the law of God is written on our hearts. Romans chapter 2, verse 15 says, For when Gentiles, and these are all Gentiles that I just mentioned, who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the law, the work of the law, is written in their hearts. So is it possible that The reason why we struggle with tithing is because we know it's the right thing to do. Because the awareness of it is intrinsic within us. We know we should do it. It's written on our hearts that we should do this. And because it's money, and we all become somewhat weird when it comes to money, we resist it. The Early church fathers all practiced and taught the biblical principle of tithing from Jerome to Ambrose to Augustine. Ambrose of Milan said this, that God has reserved, by the way, the spelling is wrong in your notes, God has reserved the tenth part for himself, and therefore it is not lawful for a man to retain what God has reserved for himself. Now, the other thing we need to know is this, that Jesus himself reaffirmed tithing. Never once did Jesus ever speak against not tithing. Matter of fact, he he criticized the Pharisees and the scribes because they were so meticulous on their tithing, but when it came to issues of justice, mercy, and faithfulness, they were lacking. Tithing in principle is also taught by the Apostle Paul. And so our text today joins tithing to the recognition of Jesus' eternal priesthood. And so if we look at Scripture, and if we look at history, tithing appears to be a timeless principle. Abraham is our father of faith. And he gave 10% of everything that he received to Melchizedek. And Jesus said these words, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. Now, that brings us then to point number two. The tithing is not something we give, but return to God. Let me say it again. Tithing is not something that you and I give to God, but rather it is something that belongs to God in the first place, and all that we are doing is returning it to Him. In other words, 10% of everything I make... Belongs to God. Now, I want to give you four popular objections that I hear over and over again to tithing. The first objection is tithing is not meant for us in the New Testament. We are under grace, not the law. Now, this is one of the first objections, and I've already addressed it in what I just said a few moments ago, except to say this, that the reason why we ask that question and offer that objection is because we are unfamiliar with the Old Testament, and we do not understand the nature of the law, and I can't get into that, but one of these days I'll do a sermon on the meaning and the purpose of the law. And I've already mentioned that Old Testament principles are carried forward into the New Testament. Some of them are redeemed, and some of them are reordered, like the Sabbath. We do not any longer worship on the Sabbath. We worship on the first day of the week, which is the Lord's Day, which is Sunday. This is generally our Sabbath. the other thing is that there are some things that are done away with that were in the law. We no longer do animal sacrifices. But it is a farce to think that a Christian can possess the spirituality of the New Testament and at the same time ignore the teaching of the Old Testament as to the doctrine of tithing. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 that all Scripture is breathed out by God, and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Not just the New Testament, but the other three-fifths of the Bible, the Old Testament. Objection number two that I hear is, I cannot afford to tithe. Well, that is true, Of many people, that's true of many Christians, and that's probably true of a number of you in this room today, and of those watching online. But it's not because we do not have enough. The reason we cannot tithe is because we live beyond our means. There is a survey that tells us that the average person lives at least $10,000 above their annual income. I was rifling through my files this week and I found this cartoon. Speaks for itself, doesn't it? Getting a handle on our money can be a challenge. And Jesus continually emphasized the relationship between money and our mental attitude. Matter of fact, Jesus said more about money than he said about any other topic. In the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, one out of ten verses talk about money or possessions. And in the book of Luke alone, one out of eight verses talks about money and possessions. And the book of James, toward the end of the New Testament, one out of five verses, talk about money and possessions. Now, according to Jesus, there is no spiritual threat greater to the impact of the gospel in your life and in my life than money. Not even sexuality. Money. And you know the famous words, Of Jesus in Matthew 6.24. No one can serve two masters. For either they will hate the one and love the other. Or will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We can't worship both. These are the two things that compete for my heart's loyalty. These are the two things that compete for our heart's loyalty. John Wesley would say that God wants you less wealthy because you would be less spiritually threatened. Did you know that in Ephesians chapter 5, 3, in Colossians 3, 5, you can remember that, 5, 3 and 3, 5, that covetousness, greed, is listed among the sins of sexual immorality covetousness and greed. And Jesus recognizing my vulnerability and your vulnerability and our vulnerability in this area outlined two principles. The first one was this, keep life simple. And the second one was acknowledge God's prior claim on ourselves and on our possessions. God's prior claim. G.K. Chesterton, a century ago, said these words, there are two ways to get enough. One is to continue to accumulate more and more, and the other is to desire less. And the only freedom that you and I really have when it comes to money is this. It's the freedom to give it away. It's not that God needs our money. It's that it's his money in the first place. We are not giving it to God. We are returning what belongs to him. And you and I, we need to learn to practice the grace of giving. Because it sets us free from the love of money and greed. Generosity and grace and giving breaks the back of greed in my life. Now, the third objection is this. People who do not tithe prosper. Mm -hmm. But I'll hasten to say this, that the consequences of disobedience is not experienced just monetarily, or materially, or physically. God knows how to bless us in more ways than just financially. Put negatively, there are more terrible ways to suffer than financially. And we are responsible for the information and the knowledge that we get. And so this morning... I have not done you a service at all, because after this morning, there you cannot ever say, "I didn't know." And you are responsible. Matter of fact, even if you did say to God, "Well, I, I really didn't know." I once got stopped by the police for speeding. Can I tell you one of my sins? My first five years in Barrie, I got a speeding ticket for every year. I got one here in Sudbury in my first three months. And I decided that that was enough. And so when the, when the, when the guy stopped me, it was a mail cop, when he stopped me in Sudbury when we first got here, I said to him, well, I said, Officer... To be honest with you, I said, I'm new to the city, right? I'm new to the city. I, you know, I understand the place. And I, I, I didn't know what the speed limit was. And he said, It is your responsibility as a vehicle operator to always know what the speed limit is, whether it is posted or not. It's written on our hearts. The law of God is written on our hearts. The other thing I've discovered in my own life, and Ruth and I would attest to this, is that those who tithe and practice tithing have no regret. The Proverbs says, 1124, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want." Now, I can tell you that Ruth and I, We have tithed all of our lives, even as children. Her parents taught her that everything she earned as a child, she should tithe. And my parents taught me the same thing. So when I had a paper wrote, I had to make sure that after I got all of my profits, that I had to give 10% of what I earned to the Lord. Even if we received a dollar for being good or whatever, I never got those very often. A dollar for being good, you had to give 10% to the Lord, because it was the principle and the practice of tithing. Now, i got to tell you that if you were to go back into our journey, that I can tell you that there were times where tithing was a sacrifice for Ruth and I, but it was the first thing that came off, even before our rent or our mortgage, and in those days it was rent, the first thing that came off was our tithe. And i got to tell you, raising three children on a pastor's salary in a small church In a small church that was so small. Listen, folks, when we went, we went, we were in Sarnia, a church of about 700 people. It was amazing on staff there. And God called us to a little church in Cambridge, a church that started well with 70 people and the pastor was there, Preached it down to where he could handle it and there were about five or six people left. On our first Sunday morning in Cambridge, there were 21 of us in the congregation Five were our immediate family. Ruth's sister and brother-in-law came over from Guelph to play the piano for us. 21 of us total. And I want you to know that we have tithed and we have sacrificed to do it. But I think you could talk to Ruth and you can definitely talk to me. And not once have we regretted it. See, on the one hand, we cannot outgive God. But on the other hand, Ruth and I, we can't afford not to tithe. You say, what do you mean? Ruth and I can't afford not to tithe, and here's why. This is what Haggai says, and I'll just give you a little hint for what next week's going to be about. Haggai, Haggai says 1 6 You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. I can't afford not to tithe. In the Old Testament, the gauge of giving, the rule of systematic giving, is known as the practice of tithing. In the New Testament, the gauge of giving, the rule of systematic giving is known as the grace of giving. And if under the Old Testament, the bare minimum, sorry, under the Old Testament, that the amount that was given was to be 10% under grace, 10% should be the bare minimum. And you know what I love about the principle of tithing? It is so fair. So whether you make hundreds of thousands of dollars or whether you make $20,000, God was genius, brilliant, when he came up with the tithing concept because it's principled. It's systematic. It's proportionate. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 16, on the first day of the week, each of you is to put aside and store up as he may prosper so that there will be no collection when I come. Now, the fourth objection is the one I love the most. God won't mind. God won't mind if I don't tithe. Well, I got to tell you, good luck with that. God blesses and honors obedience. Now, we're going to get into the meat of this next week. But Malachi says this, that God equates withholding his tithe as robbery. Not maturity, robbery. And that God connects tithing to blessing. It is the only place in the Bible where God says, hey, test me on this. We'll get into that. And the last thing is God promises a hedge of protection around those who honor him. And one of those ways that we honor him is with the tithe. Over and over again, the Bible says the tithe belongs to God. Yours and mine. Ours. Now, let me give you a couple of misunderstandings regarding tithing. Some people have strange ideas when it comes to tithing. Now, when I read Malachi chapter 3, it says this, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Now, the 21st conversion of this text in Malachi that the storehouse is the local church. We tithe where we worship in community, where we are cared for, and where we have accountability. You don't pick your groceries up at Vrab's and then run over to Food Basics, the green store, and give them the money. Some people think that it's okay to send their tithe to TV ministries. Well, the tithe belongs to the local church. And when it comes time for you to receive counsel and care for body and soul, when your children need to be married and your body needs to be buried, do you really think that Joel Osteen or John Hagee is going to come and take care of those things for you? And I'm not offended or bothered by anything. Other people think. Other people think that they can send their tithe to missions. Well, that's not tithing, that's giving. Because tithing belongs to the local church. Now, let's think this through logically for a minute. Imagine if we all did that, that we all gave our money to mission, overseas missions. Who would do mission in Sudbury in the surrounding area? Further, if we all did that, who's going to keep the heat and the hydro on, the heat and lights on in this place? And further, if we send our tithes or our giving to other ministries, overseas missions, and what have you, are we not freeloading? So I send my money to TV ministries or I send my money to missions but I'm expecting you to make sure that I have nice seats to sit in and lights and heat and air conditioning in the summer and that the place is ploughed and everything is sanded and all things are hunky dory at glad tidings church we're freeloading tithing is how we pay the freight and tithing is not self-directed giving In other words, we do not personally administrate our tithes. Tithing is when the money is given and somebody other than the tither administrates the use and direction. Now, sometimes we feel it's our right to direct our tithes, but we forget they're not our tithes, they belong to God. Keep that in mind wherever we want them to go. I had a father in a former church, not here, but in another church, just south of here. And he said to me, he said, I don't tithe to Highway Church. He said, I take my tithes, and I use them to pay my children's tuition at the Christian school. And I looked at him square in the eye, and I said, well, good luck with that. No, tithing is not self-directed giving. Somebody else is to administrate the tithe. We have to release it, is the point. Some people do not tithe because it's a form of protest. They don't like their perceived way in which their tithes, their tithes, are being used. Well, first of all, it's not your tithes, my tithes. It's the Lord's. And secondly, the practice of tithing operates under the principle that I just mentioned. It's not self-directed. Now, the immediate pushback is this. Well, you know, Pastor Todd, I don't like the way you and the board are administrating the finances. Okay, fair enough. But here's what you need to know. Is that every day... I live with the understanding that one of these days I am going to stand in the presence of Jesus and I am going to have to give an account for how we spent the resources at Glad Tidings Church, Highway Church, Essex Gospel Tabernacle, and Cambridge Cornerstone Church. Here's what James says. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Yeah. But here's the other thing. You don't like the way we might be spending and using, allocating the church's resources. But how do you know how the TV ministries or the missions people, how do you know if they're doing it the way you want it done? And the last thing is this, the tithing is not a substitute. And what I mean by that is this, I'm going to tell you two stories. I had one person tell me in a church that they didn't tithe their money because they gave 10% of their time to the church. Well, that's great. But maybe we need to think about the concept that maybe God deserves 10%. Well, God does deserve 10% of our income, but maybe God deserves 10% of our time and our talents. Now, there's a whole sermon for us. And then I had another person. We wanted to run for the board. And, of course, we have the right to uh, look at the giving of people who run for the board. If you're going to have a say in how the church's money is, resources are allocated, then you ought to be contributing, right? So this guy was going to run for the board, and what we discovered is he didn't give a dime to the church. That's not totally true. He gave $270 to the church, but that was because his two kids went to the spring uh, youth convention. And that's what that money was about. And he said to me, when we said, you can't run the board. You don't support the church financially. And he said, well, my kids, my way of tithing is my kids are involved in the church. And I looked at him and said, that's not how it works. You can't substitute your kids for finances. And what's interesting? That this man earned well over $100,000 a year. And he had troubles making ends meet. I wonder why. But in the end, tithing is an evidence of our commitment and loyalty to Christ. And our neglect of it is evidence in our indifference to his will. Here's our secret to happiness. You and I will never be completely happy while what belongs to God remains in our pocket. Now, I want to finish how I began this morning with this quote. The issue is not tithing at all. The issue is much greater than tithing. And I want to finish with this. We fail to create within us an imagination that is affirmative, that grasps the life that is given to us and make the most of it. Not making the most money, not having the most fun, not making the biggest impression, but entering in the life, God, life on God's terms and living it well. But too often, rather than grasping the life God has for us and intends for us to live, we opt for table scraps and crumbs from another table. And that's what happens when we get upset about the issue of tithing. We're fighting over table scraps and crumbs from the world's table. When all the while, God has a buffet for us. And we ignore it. And I'll end with these two scriptures. The psalmist says, You make known to me the path of life. And in your presence, there's fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And then Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Abundantly. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, this is our God. Stand with me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for the living Christ. And because he lives, we shall also live. And Lord, we praise you that you have a buffet table available for us. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore that you have come to give us life and to abundance. Lord, I pray on this difficult, emotional, controversial topic of tithing, that we would see it as much greater than money. But you have a life for us that is full and rich. And Lord, help us to grasp it. And so we give you praise and we give you thanks. And this we pray in the beautiful name, the glorious name, the wonderful name of Jesus Christ our Lord, amen.